a look at where Illinois' job engine is sputtering. And I'll talk with Crane's contributor, Graham Meyer, who writes the weekly Big Ticket column about can't-miss arts and culture events for the month ahead, including the return of Hamilton to the Chicago stage, a look at the Chicago Underground Film Festival, and lots more. I think that it can be really fun to go to the Underground Film Festival because you kind of don't know what you're getting. It's a little like that fringe fest atmosphere where you sort of read a description like, oh, that sounds weird. And then you show up and you're like, oh, I love that. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Tuesday, August 29th. Want some wins? Wintrust Community Banks is proud to be ranked number one in customer satisfaction and personal banking in Illinois by J.D. Power. That's one win, and that's for the second year in a row. That's a win-win. And you can now earn even more interest with Wintrust's new savings rates. That's a win-win-win. To get your savings some wins, visit Wintrust.com slash LockNewRates. That's Wintrust.com slash LockNewRates. Members FDIC. For J.D. Power 2020. Award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. I'm joined by Cranes contributor Graham Meyer, who writes the weekly big ticket column here to talk about can't miss arts and culture events for the month ahead. Although this is, we're stretching beyond month, in some cases looking uh, further into the year, but lots of stuff to do, lots of things to put on our calendars and and start planning for, especially where, where tickets are scarce. We always want to jump on those quickly. Let's start by, uh, by talking about Hamilton. Yeah, Hamilton is back. Uh, it was here for three and a half years from 16 to early 2020. And the touring cast is coming through starting September 13th. I have been sort of trying to get an answer about how much is it going to extend? Is it going to extend? And actually, Amy, since I sent you the thing, they have already extended it. Okay. Now it's September 13th through December 30th at the moment. Trying to read the tea leaves since I can't get the answer. It looks like there's still space for maybe another month or two on that, but I don't think they are likely to go past that. It won't be here on an open run like it used to be. That's right. So- If anyone doesn't know, Hamilton is the musical, hip-hop musical, Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's about Alexander Hamilton, one of the founding fathers of America. It has a diverse cast that looks like contemporary America. The dance is amazing. It has a lot of words, so be prepared to miss things. I would say, listen to the soundtrack a few times first and then go and you'll be ready. Yeah, yeah. At least mentally prepare yourself for like the barrage of verbiage Mm -hmm. that that comes through. But it is, you know, a cultural phenomenon. It's one uh, of the uh, shows that will be defining our era in musical theater. So if you haven't seen it, it is worthwhile. It definitely is. I was kind of late to the Hamilton bandwagon, but once I got on it, I was like, oh, why have I not done this sooner? It was really fun. So for folks who haven't seen it, I highly recommend seeing it. Yeah. And there still are tickets, especially that last block that they just released, which is most of December. So it sounds like tickets are still as scarce as they were before because it was always a big deal to get Hamilton tickets. Yeah, it's not quite as hot where it used to be. You had to know what time they were releasing the next block of tickets. It's not quite that extreme. You can still get even a pair together for a lot of the shows from the first block, but you may not be able to get it where in the theater you wanted to get it. Okay. 
Good to know. Good to know. But still, the Hamilton fever is still a thing. It still exists. So um, grab those tickets as you can. So then that moves us to Timeline Theater at the Broadway Playhouse. Tell me about what's happening there. Yeah, they're putting on a show called the Lehman Trilogy. Uh, It's a little intimidating to hear that it's called a trilogy. It's really a three-act play. So it is kind of long, but it's like three plus hours, not an entire day like uh, you know, extreme things. Timeline does plays uh, that are about history and history showing us who we are today. So this play was the best play Tony Award winner in 22. It is the story of Lehman Brothers, the financial firm, beginning with when the Lehmans immigrated to the U.S., taking it through the stock market crash in 1929 and its collapse in the financial crisis in 2008. It's an interesting play because it's only got three actors and they play different roles in each of the three acts. And it was done with a spare set in New York. This is a new and different production. So it should be really interesting to see how they decide to interpret it at the Broadway Playhouse. So it's Timeline Theater, who people probably know from their Lakeview space, but they're going to be at the Broadway Playhouse by the Water Tower Place. And that seems kind of like interesting timing, right? We're in the middle of so much financial flux currently in the world. It seems like a really interesting uh, interesting moment to be taking that play in and watching other big moments in, in financial history. Yeah, absolutely. And one that they survived their first problem with the stock market crash, but then they didn't survive the second one. So uh, seeing sort of how the, those two things differed and how that speaks to our current moment, I think is an interesting thing to look at. Yeah, definitely. All right. And then we move to the Auditorium Theater with it looks like just a two-day uh, opportunity to see some dance performances. Tell me about what's going on there. Yeah, this is the Arpino Centennial performances that are going to be on September 23rd and 24th. Gerald Arpino was the co-founder of the Joffrey Ballet alongside Robert Joffrey, not called Joffrey Arpino or the Arpino Ballet, but he was there right from the beginning. And he was the main choreographer for the company in its early days as well. He was the one who brought the Joffrey to be headquartered in Chicago in the 90s. And a lot of his ballets have had a longer life than just the Joffrey and its initial performance. So he's had a huge amount of influence on the dance world. He died in 2008. This year would be his centennial, his 100th birthday. So marking the occasion, the foundation that licenses all of his choreography is creating this sort of jubilee performance where they're inviting uh, dance companies from all over the country to do some of his work. So the Joffrey will be at both performances, and then there's going to be in each one four other companies, and they're all going to be doing uh, Arpino works and their unique performances too. So you could go on both the 23rd and the 24th and not see any repeated performances. Oh, that's interesting. And so will it be different companies both days? There are some repeats. American Ballet Theater is only at one. Okay. That's the first one, the 23rd, and the San Francisco Ballet is only at one. But the Joffrey will be at both, and uh, it's sort of mixed. So it's best to go look at the website and decide which one you would want to go to if you're only going to go to one. That's a cool idea, though, that you could go to both and not uh, not have overlap and not be like, eh, I saw this already. Yeah, and it's an interesting way to present a program also, the, all the same choreographers' works, but different dancers and sort of different interpreters. It's not the standard way of setting up a dance program. All right. So again, that is September 
23rd and 24th at the Auditorium Theater. So that's another one. We want to grab those tickets while they're available. Um, All right. And that moves us to Harris Fest at Millennium Park on September 9th, a one day only now. One day only, but all day on September 9th. Uh, Yeah, they're starting as early as 10 a.m. with some of their workshops and things that they're doing out in Millennium Park. So it's all built around the Harris Theater's 20th anniversary season. I cannot believe that the Harris is 20 years old. It seems like it was yesterday that I was like, what are they doing with all those metal noodles out (laughs) on the rail yard? But, you know, it became the Bandshell, it became Millennium Park and the Harris Theater, and it's been there. 20 years, and it's really found a place in Chicago cultural life. I was just talking to Lori Diamond there earlier today, the CEO at Harris, and she was talking about how all these companies that are resident at Harris, they're all collaborating and conversing. It's become the sort of hub for Chicago cultural companies and the way they're able to use the Harris as sort of a midsize theater. It's not as big as, you know, the auditorium or the Lyric Opera House, but it's also not one of these small theaters that a company might start in. So it's, you know, middle size and it's also, you know, run by the Harris Theater. It's not run by some other company who's renting it out. So they're able to have this sort of collaborative atmosphere. It's really come into its own as a place. So anyway, on the 9th, they are going to celebrate by doing a whole day of stuff in Millennium Park. There will be activities out by the Bean and on one of the promenades uh, during the morning and early afternoon. And then the crux of the whole thing is from six to nine, 12 of their resident companies will be performing at the pavilion. Okay bring a picnic, sit on the lawn, sort of like a Grant Park Music Festival or one of the city festivals. Chicago Opera Theater is going to be there. Music of the Borough, Covered Street Dance, Giordano Dance Chicago will be there. They'll set up the screen so you can see the dancing from the lawn. Oh, cool. Be a full day of culture. That's really exciting. So there's all these performances. You hang out on the lawn. You just kind of take it all in. Mm -hmm. September 9th, I feel like is still early enough in the year that it's not going to be chilly or it's it's probably going to be mild weather. So that seems like a really fun day. Yeah. I feel like those September performances they have out on the lawn are really a sort of undiscovered gem. You know, if if you know about a particular company that's going to perform there, maybe you, you know about it, but once Grant Park Music Festival and the city uh, festivals are over, there's all these little one-offs that are happening there. And um, those can be really great because the weather is still really nice, as you say. And um, it, it's worth looking at the venue and not just at the at the companies that are coming in. Hopefully I didn't just jinx it. I'm going to get a bunch of hate mail if I did. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time I got a bunch of hate mail. You said it would be nice. I know. She said it would be nice. She She jinxed it. And that takes us to the Chicago Underground Film Festival, September 13th through 17th, which is always really fun. What's happening there this year? Well, uh, it's 30 years old this year. It's I can't believe it. I know. It is really amazing. The longest running underground film festival anywhere in the world. Wow. Yeah, it used to be uh, they do it in July the last couple of times, but they've moved it to September. um, And that's going to put it sort of during the uh, school year for the U of C, which I think is a good kind of connector with them. They're doing it at the Harper Theater in Hyde Park. Everything except for the opener, which is at the Siskel, is at the Harper Theater, uh, which is recently refurbished and they have fancy new seats and things. 
I think that it can be really fun to go to the underground film festival because you kind of don't know what you're getting. It's a little like the right. fringe fest atmosphere where you sort of read a description you're like, oh, that sounds weird. And then you show up and you're like, oh, I love that. Or hmm, maybe not for me, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit of a roll of the dice when you go to some of this stuff. One little tip I would give people is that they have a lot of programs of shorts at Cuff, Chicago Underground Film Festival for short. And, and the shorts programs, you kind of reduce the extremity of whether you're going to like or dislike things because you're going to like some things and you're not going to like some other things. So yeah, it will be sort of a middle, more middle experience rather than more extreme experience. And I also think those short films are things that don't get seen very much. So it's a, a good experience for everybody to go to the shorts programs. You know what? Completely agreed. I think going to, because they're usually programmed in blocks. So it'll be, you know, an hour or two with, with several short films in there. I think those are the most fun because exactly like you said, you might see something completely weird that you would have never gone to see, but maybe there's one film that brought you to that block that you're like, okay, that's, I've, I've seen the trailer. I know about this one, or I know somebody in it or involved in it or whatever. And then you end up exposed to all this other cool stuff and all these other ideas and these other styles that you may not have otherwise taken in. And I think that's just kind of the best thing to do at a film festival. And that's the best part of them is that you get exposed to all this other stuff that you maybe would wouldn't have um, sought out on your own and then you end up better for having seen it. Yeah, I totally agree. And the the form of the short film also allows for a certain amount of cleverness that you can't really build into a, a longer feature length film. So some of those can be really fun and really unusual and uh, interesting and experimental in that sort of way. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, and the Harper Theater in Hyde Park, uh, as you said, recently refurbished. So it's got those like very good movie theater seats now. Yeah, yeah. That are real cozy. Like you can actually put your seat up, which is pretty fancy. Uh, the Harper Theater, when I was uh, lived in Hyde Park, was not in good shape. So it is nice that they have uh, brought it back. And it's under, I believe it's under university ownership now. And it's supposed to be very nice. I haven't been there yet because it only opened, I think, a couple of months ago after their renovations. So um, that's kind of an exciting way to show off the new place, too. Yeah, definitely. Sounds good. All right. Well, again, that's Chicago Underground Film Festival, September 13th through 17th. So lots of stuff for us to kind of jump on right away. But then also we've got those uh, kind of longer things like looking to December for Hamilton tickets in the in the spot, hopefully the spots we want to sit in, things like that. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, with the fall coming, it's time to sort of plan it out. So it's uh, this is the moment. This is the moment indeed. All right. Well, always a pleasure, Graham. Thanks so much. And we'll chat again next time. Thank you. Coming up, Mayor Johnson's plan to tackle soaring car thefts is to sue the automakers. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Do you know a leader, a visionary, an influencer, an innovator? Do you know a Titan? Join the ranks of Chicago's Titan 100, a new exclusive community for C-suite executives. Stand up and be recognized and tap into the power of a growing national network. Learn more, nominate someone, or apply today at whipfleecom slash Chicago Titan. That's WIPFLI.com slash Chicago Titan. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Goof. In Illinois, the economy is showing job growth in most sectors, but some areas remain sluggish. Crane's John Pletz reported that the largest decline in jobs has been observed in professional and business services. 
which is the state's third largest sector. However, these losses have primarily impacted lower-level positions rather than higher-level ones. State data indicates that the number of jobs held by temp workers, administrative and support staff, as well as janitors, went down by 19,200, or about 4 percent, compared to the previous year. This decline was nearly twice as high as the job losses in manufacturing, which is the second hardest-hit sector. Despite this, the overall number of jobs in the state increased by almost 90,000, or 1.5 percent in July, compared to the previous year, surpassing pre-pandemic levels for the first time. Pletz reported that the decline in administrative, support, temporary, and custodial positions has been ongoing due to decreased demand for physical office space. And as Pletz pointed out in reporting, the trend reflects the uneven recovery of the economy, which was further impacted by rising inflation and an increase in interest rates. Experts also noted that companies generally overhired in 2021 and in 2022, leading to staffing imbalances and are now having to adjust their workforce levels. The reduced demand for office space has had a significant impact on administrative positions in particular, with remote work reducing the need for on-site support staff. The Service Employees International Union Local 1 reports a 16% decrease in commercial office janitors in the Chicago area since the start of the pandemic, and occupancy rates in office buildings have remained around 43% of pre-pandemic levels. The decline in various support positions started at the end of 2022 and picked up in April, with the sector shedding about 2,600 jobs just in the last month alone. While the staffing industry saw growth in recent years, the current outlook suggests that employers will continue to reduce temporary positions rather than resorting to widespread layoffs. However, Pletz pointed out in reporting that technology-related temp roles are a notable exception, as the demand for temporary IT workers has risen by 30 percent compared to the previous year. Despite this, many economists, including Sarah Crane from Moody's Analytics, anticipate that the decline in temporary and support positions will continue due to the broader economic slowdown. Crane's Steve Daniels reported that Northbrook-based Allstate has created a novel way to reduce its agents' pay for the insurance policies that they sell. In a change set to take effect next year, Allstate will subtract reinsurance costs from customer premiums when calculating agents' commissions. Reinsurance assists in covering expenses related to catastrophes, particularly those associated with weather-related incidents. And according to documents obtained by Cranes, the reduction would mean a $100 deduction from a $2,500 homeowner's policy before determining an agent's commission, if the premium is lowered by 4%. Daniels noted that the deduction impact will vary, with states prone to weather disasters like Florida experiencing deeper cuts due to higher reinsurance costs. Daniels also noted that unlike major auto and home insurers, Allstate's approach is unprecedented, requiring agents to share in reinsurance costs while maintaining these expenses in policyholder premiums. And the move arrives as Allstate grapples with financial losses spanning six consecutive quarters attributed to rising claims settlement costs in its auto and property divisions. Allstate's reliance on its agent force has also shifted in recent years towards online sales and acquiring companies that sell through independent agents. 
Further, its reinsurance deduction strategy might encourage increased reinsurance purchases to pass more of the cost burden to agents, potentially safeguarding the company against climate change-related fluctuations. And Daniels noted that with tensions rising, the National Association of Professional Allstate Agents, representing over a 1,000 agents, has sued Allstate for allegedly violating agent contracts. The company's agent count has diminished by 19 percent, dropping to 8,400 from 10,000 1,400 in just two years, and this reinsurance deduction marks another phase in a series of agent-related cutbacks made by Allstate. Find more reporting on this story and lots more at chicagobusiness.com. Bloomberg reported, citing people with knowledge of the matter, that WeWork is rounding up advisors for help with a restructuring as it struggles with a heavy debt load and poor financial performance. The co-working giant has reportedly hired real estate advisor Hilco Global, once again tapped consultant Alvarez and Marsal, and re-engaged law firm Kirkland and Ellis for advice on its options, according to reporting from Bloomberg, whose sources reportedly said that the company is seeking to avoid a Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing and to restructure its debts out of court. Bloomberg also noted in reporting that WeWork's ability to stave off bankruptcy will depend in large part on whether it can terminate or renegotiate a substantial number of its leases in more expensive markets. The company earlier this month told investors there is, quote, substantial doubt about its ability to stay in business. Reporting from Bloomberg also noted that just a few years ago, WeWork was one of the most valuable startups in the U.S. Co-founder Adam Newman aspired to remake the way people work, and the company's mission statement included the imperative to, quote, elevate the world's consciousness. Newman also sought to build a communal living business, We Live, and an education business called We Grow. The company raised billions of dollars and signed longer-term leases on buildings around the world planning to profit from leasing the space to clients short-term. But WeWork's disastrous effort to go public in 2019 resulted in Newman being ousted as CEO. The company ultimately went public in 2021 through combining with a special-purpose acquisition company, but its shares have plunged 97% in the last year, and its debt has fallen sharply, just months after it reached a sweeping debt-cutting deal with some of its creditors. Bloomberg also noted in reporting that the company has continued to struggle given the normalization of remote work. WeWork said in a statement earlier this month that it's focusing over the next year on cutting rental costs, negotiating more favorable leases, boosting revenue, and raising funding. Earlier this month, WeWork added four restructuring specialists to its board. Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson has a plan to help tackle soaring car theft rates in the city and that is to sue the automakers. The city of Chicago filed a civil suit against Kia and Hyundai for failing to include engine immobilizers in various models, causing, quote, a steep rise in vehicle thefts, reckless driving, property damage, and a wide array of related violent crimes in Chicago. That, according to a statement on Thursday. Thefts of Kia and Hyundai cars have surged across the country after social media users exposed security flaws, sparking what's been termed the Kia Challenge, where people livestream their larceny. 
At least 20 state attorneys in the U.S. have urged Hyundai and Kia to enhance anti-theft measures, while New York Mayor Eric Adams has blamed social media. Bloomberg noted in reporting that Chicago has been particularly hard hit by vehicle thefts, which accelerated during earlier phases of the pandemic and added to broader concerns about crime. According to the city, more than 19,000 cars have been stolen in Chicago this year, which is double last year's figure and three times more than in 2019. Some 8,350 Kia and Hyundai vehicles were stolen in the second half of 2022 in Chicago, up from just 500 in the first six months of the year. Mayor Johnson said in a statement, quote, a citywide and nationwide crime spree around automobile theft has been unfolding right before our eyes. Hyundai said in response that it's committed to helping customers and communities affected by the theft of vehicles not equipped with push-button ignitions and engine immobilizers. Engine immobilizers, meanwhile, are now standard on all Hyundai vehicles produced since November of 2021. That's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Cranes contributor, Graham Meyer. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Cranes Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.